Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, we are rolling. We're recording over here as well. When I drink coffee, does it interfere with the mic? <laughs> yes. I mean, I can hear the slurps. It's not. But the, the cup's not hitting the, no. the mic. No. No. I like that coffee cup. Yeah. Thanks. Kinto. Well, it's maybe kind of a good thing that we're recording remotely, mm-hmm. because otherwise, during this cold open, it might actually start a mosh pit. Oh, my God. That a guy like Steve could make the darkest Indiana that you'd ever believe It was his friend George Lucas who initially conceived That the next chapter would have to be so bleak It was divorce that forced George to be so coarse Without remorse he torched and scorched Harrison Ford And by comparison Spielberg was in arrogant form He didn't care about the motherfucking media scorn About Doom, Temple of Doom, ready or not Here comes a podcast about Doom, Temple of Doom, ready or not you like Steve now? Kate Capshaw always gets the blame for a movie where a fat guy eats a monkey brain. But Kiwi Kwan brings humor and zest to a film where a guy gets his heart ripped from his chest. Nobody knew that it would be so bizarre, but parents thought it should be rated R. But Spielberg and Lucas didn't give no bones when they unleashed the Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom, ready or not. Here comes a podcast about Doom, Temple of Doom, ready or not. How you like Steve now? I said Doom, Temple of Doom, ready or not. Is it the trilogy's best? I said Doom, Temple of Doom, ready or not. I'm cinema possessed. Wow. 
Welcome, everybody, to the Cinema Possessed Podcast. My name is Jack Bishop. And I'm Justin Isham. And each week we take a close look at one film in our combined DVD and Blu-ray collections and discuss what it was about it that originally possessed us to want to possess it. We'll debate whether or not the film still holds that power over us today. And in the end, we'll decide once and for all if it deserves to keep its place on the shelf or be lowered slowly into a pit of lava. Rip its its heart out. (laughs) Sort of reminds me of a certain bodybuilder robot that we all know and love. He was also Body- lowered into what? a pit of lava. Oh, I'm talking Terminator. about Arnold. Mm-hmm. Technically, the robot's not a bodybuilder, though. Well, the, the actor playing the robot is a bodybuilder. But the robot's got the bodybuilder body. The, ro- the robot's a soldier. It's not a bodybuilder. <laughs> That's its career. Have you seen the new... There's a new Arnold documentary on Netflix. Oh, wow. Called Arnold. Uh, no. Sounds cool. I watched the first two. Which is about his bodybuilding career and then his acting career, and I haven't gotten to the politics yet and the affair mm-hmm. and the and the baby, the groping, the groping, the groping that has not been been touched upon yet. And I don't know how close it's going to. I heard that the documentary was like pro pro Arnie. Well, it just feels pro Arnie when you watch it. I had heard that it was kind of revealing and that it was, but it doesn't really feel that way so far. I mean, he's all over it. Feels. Did you see there's a new Sylvester Stallone reality TV show? Yeah, it's called like um, The Family Stallone. Or it's all about his daughters and stuff. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it almost didn't come to fruition because him and his wife were going to get a divorce over his dog. But then they're Over back his together. dog? What do you mean? <sighs> I don't know the details exactly, but it was something like she wanted him to get rid of the dog or something like that. And he got the dog's face tattooed on his arm over like her face that was tattooed on his arm i could be getting these details wrong but that's wild god I'm, I'm looking at the fucking sound things for my for my song so red. and it's just like blasted out yeah it was it was blasting it was out my, my cans I had to take my cans my were literally rattling on my head <laughs> Sorry. Hey, I told you it was going to get rocking and rolling in here. Um, Justin, what movie are we talking about today? We're talking about a sequel mm-hmm. movie. Mm-hmm. Might be our first sequel um, on the po- on the pod. Well, you know, technically this is a prequel. What? Technically, Temple of Doom is a prequel. It takes place two years before Raiders of the Lost Ark. Hate to get all... Yeah, but it came second. It <laughs> yes, came yes second. it did come second. Uh yeah, I think this is the first one we had not done any any franchises. This is our first franchise too, I think. After watching this, did you regret not doing the first one? Not at all. First? No. It is a it is an, a strange choice to to do that this before Raiders. For sure. But I think it's more interesting to talk about this yeah, one. This I think sure. there's more. Well well, if you haven't guessed it, we're talking about 1984's Indiana Jones 2 and the <laughs> Temple of Doom. <laughs> If adventure has a name, it must be Indiana Jones. From Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. You don't believe me. You will, Dr. Jones. Mm, you already get some of that 
Wow. Darkness that a, in that trailer. That was a weak trailer. Mm-hmm. Also, that didn't sound like the real voice. That sounded like a dubbed Mola Ram. You don't believe me, Dr. Jones? Didn't that sound a little <laughs> a little off? It didn't sound too... I mean, but it's also like an old... It's an old trailer with an old... Uh, mm. um, so how did you watch the movie? I got a dinky little DVD. Ooh, <laughs> that is dinky. Any special not, features on that? I mean, this looks like a, a bootleg. Yeah. Have you seen a DVD without any... There's not a logo on the front. There's, there's no, like... Collector's edition. Mm-hmm. Nothing. But the back looks like a real DVD. Oh, and there are special features. Yeah, but they're they're a joke. An introduction, uh, some Lego promotions, photo <laughs> galleries, storyboards, Ooh, nothing. Lego yet. promotion. You know, I wonder if that was maybe part of a set, and it was sort of created for, like, the collection, and then they just sort of took them out and sold them individually, you know? Possibly. It's one of those uh, DVD cases with those snap clicky yeah. hinges, mm-hmm. you know, because God forbid your... Your case pops case open. Case <laughs> pops open and your disc falls out. Well, um, I'm sort of ashamed to say that for the very first time on this podcast, I don't have the physical copy of it. So what'd you do? Well, I did have the physical copy. I had the collection. I have no... Honestly, I have no memory where it went. I've had it, I had it for forever. I Maybe I sold it but don't have any memory of it. Did you have the rest of the collection? I didn't have any of them. The oh, whole wow. collection is gone. So I have no Indiana Joneses in my physical collection at the moment. So we watched it on streaming. We watched it on Paramount Plus. Mm-hmm. We should have done what Justin did and gone to a, a video rental. Well, here's the problem. The big issue is, is that now you can no longer buy the original trilogy by themselves Everything always comes with Crystal Skull, and I don't want Crystal Skull in my boycott. Boycott Crystal Skull, and they do have like Blu-ray copies of the individual trilogy by themselves, but they are so bogus, like because they just want you to buy the collection. The collection is what comes with all the special features and everything, and so it's like I can either spend twenty dollars on a Blu-ray that has no special features and that has a weird box like yours, or I just. I don't know. I don't exactly know what to do. I would rather just... I wish I just had my original DVD collection that only had the original three. It would be funny to buy the uh, four-movie collection used and then take the disc of Crystal Skull out and just sell (laughs) the disc back on eBay. But then there's going to be like a hole in the box. There'll be like a gap. What am I going to fill that one with? Sorry. <laughs> I did actually make an Indiana Jones movie when I was a kid called Tech Taverns. It was like my <laughs> spinoff. And I was at the time I was really into collecting um, monkeys. You know, those like f- felt monkeys that their hands could could like magnetize together. Uh-huh. For whatever reason, I got like real into collecting those for a couple of years. So I had like probably. Why, why Tech Tavern? Does that not sound like a cool ass name to you? Well, tech it's like tech tavern. tech taverns. It's a little bit like of plural. a mouthful. You know what? Fuck honest. you. You got to start Fuck releasing you. some of these clips of these these movies yeah. that you made on the. The only I never stuff. finished that one, but the big thing I remember about it is that I wanted it to have a theme like the Indiana Jones theme, but I didn't want it to be the Indiana Jones theme. So I just did the Cape Fear theme, assuming that nobody would recognize it. None of my friends would have recognized it, but I would do it in the scenes with my mouth. So if I was like pointing the camera at something else, I would be going like, burr, 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 
And then if I had to do it on myself, I would do like, I would pull the camera in close on my eyes. It would like zoom into a close up of my eyes so you couldn't see my mouth. <laughs> and it would go, burr, burr, burr. But yeah, that's all do I you, really Do you remember. think we're being too harsh on, on Crystal Skull? Is it, are we missing something? Is that the I one mean, with Shia LaBeouf? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Surely I not. think we are not being too harsh on it, to be honest. Um, what was your relationship to Indiana Jones growing up? Oh, wait. First off, got to mm, introduce mm-hmm. <laughs> the crystal skull of this podcast. Hey, that means that you want to get rid of me, you <laughs> son of a bitch. Uh, Corey Clifford. Mm-hmm. Say hello to the crowd. Hello. Uh, I'll start with you, Corey. What was your relationship to Indiana Jones? Good save. Good save, Jack. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess that people are going to be shocked to hear you. I didn't, I never seen this You'd movie. You'd never watched Indiana mm-hmm. Jones before you met me? Nope. Shock. That really is shocking, honestly. Had you seen a Star Wars? Mm, no. Is that, I mean. Is, is that, that shocking? Is that shocking? Well, it just feels like stuff like Indiana Jones and Star Wars are just so... uh... But they weren't movies that came out when we were kids. They were big to you because, I don't know why, your parents showed them to you? Yeah, I had a big brother too. Yeah. No, I I hadn't watched any of them. I hadn't watched any of... Like I remember, there was a time in our life where you like showed me all. You showed me all of these. You showed Mm -hmm. me all of the Rockies. Mm This is um, this is going to be gross, maybe borderline sexist. Please feel free to cut this out. <laughs> I'm not trying to be gross, though. I I just genuinely am asking. Yeah. Back back then, mm-hmm. the the sensation I got was maybe this was a little bit more. It it's harder to find guys who haven't watched Indiana Jones. Sure. Than it, right. Than it is girls. Like I don't. I don't. Uh, I mean, it's playing up to. I don't want to make assumptions, but I. I it's been very hard pressed uh, to find girls. Who girls that you know. Yeah. Yeah. Same. I don't think a lot of the women that I know grew up with this at all, or yeah. if they did, it's usually had an older brother or something like that. I just even now, like it's not the. There's nothing that's really playing to me. I mean, Harrison Ford's a hottie bow body, but I would not have thought that when I was your age you don't think so i would have thought he was a dad mm, now yeah. i've aged had, into i guess finding that hot you were attracted now to I'm like, like the younger yeah kid, yeah i was like, like wanting devon sawa you know you were like, attracted to short round <laughs> he's the cutest thing in the world in this movie yeah. but yeah i do remember watching these with you and that was my relationship and i remember specifically liking this one way mm-hmm. better than the other ones Justin, how about you? What was your relationship to this franchise? Did you get into this early on as a little kid? Oh yeah, huge fan. I I have. Uh, it's not really a great story, but it's just kind of a weird story. But I had this one. Okay. Oh, speaking of uh, boys and girls, mm-hmm. um, and everything in between. I had a friend named Stephanie, middle like elementary school friend. Like we're talking second grade, something like that. Mm-hmm. Formed a weird friendship with her. It was. Obviously non-sexual because we were children. <laughs> sure, <laughs> but there was a, there was a thing there, you know. And her mom uh, really liked me for some reason. Went out to the store. We were hanging out one day at her house. She took us to like a, a Sam's Club, like the Costco of the time mm-hmm. of my of my Midwest suburb. And there was a three box set VHS of Indiana Jones. All three movies. She bought it for me. Wow. 
and uh, just gave it to me for no reason. It wasn't my birthday. It wasn't um, weird. She was anything. trying to buy so your friendship for her I daughter. Think, I think so, because her um, her daughter was a weirdo. And was this on was VHS tape or was this DVD? VHS tape, yeah. She was a weirdo. Uh, VH- she was excited that she had a friend. She was mm-hmm. like, I got to keep this kid around. Yeah. I got to buy yeah. him stuff. She was, if I remember correctly, um, was then and even in high school, the tallest girl of anyone, of any person in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And so I think she was a little bit bullied for that for some That reason. was me all throughout elementary school. And everybody thought I was going to be so tall, but I just stopped growing after third grade, essentially. Mm-hmm. But if you look at my elementary school pictures, I'm straight up a head taller than every single person, like in the class pictures. But people And people made fun of you for I it? was not bullied at all. I was actually extremely popular. Mm. <laughs> Sorry to say, but I was. Well, let's let's get some second. We need some second and third opinions. Um, read my diary. I was kissing the most popular boy in school. Um, it was pretty great. Yeah, tall tall boys. That's not something to get made fun of for. That's probably something to be celebrated for. But I guess tall girls, you get. I think I think it depends on your your. I, you could be tall and and a weirdo, and a freaking freak. Oh yeah, I mean, I guess <laughs> yeah. if you're yeah. It all kind of depends on how you dress. I also dressed, think, just a little side note about how I wasn't bullied um, in elementary school. I also think it's because my mom was the young, beautiful, coolest teacher at my elementary school that everybody loved, mm-hmm. and therefore that. Helped oh my me god! Out. If you were if you, at my school, if your teacher, if your mom was a teacher, you would get r- ripped apart. Yeah, but my mom was the one that everybody lo- like. They always wanted to be in her classroom, mm-hmm. and she was she was just, the cool teacher. She was the cool teacher, and she was so beautiful. Still is, mom. You're still beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and specifically, this movie. How did like when it when it comes to as a kid comparing the movies within the trilogy? Where did Temple of Doom sit for you? The best, easily. Yeah, always the best. Always number one. Uh, Last Crusade. I probably have more appreciation for it now than I did mm-hmm. back then. Mm-hmm. Um, it it felt like a totally different movie to me. I could not connect with it as a kid. Yeah. Raiders was obviously, I mean, that face melting scene at the end stuck with me for all of my life. Yeah. You're a kid, so you, you're not appreciating the same things you're appreciating now. So Steven Spielberg's craft just kind of like went over my head. But Mm -hmm. one thing that I always picked up on was, you know, people say this is, this is the horror one. Temple of Doom is Mm -hmm. Indiana Jones goes goes to hell, and that's true. But I I felt like there was a darkness even in Raiders. They all too. have I mean, they all have their moments of sort of shocking violence. Yeah, and even Temple of Doom um, on this revisit had way more comic book humor yeah. and children's gags than yeah. than I thought. So the the movie actually I feel kind of is a little tonally messy, but that's yeah, part of what I like sure. about it. For sure. But um, the charm of Harrison Ford always oh, came yeah. through to me and yeah. definitely I, I didn't have a, a crush on him per se I think he was just more so you wanted him to be your dad father figure yeah, yeah for sure <laughs> yeah. I had those moments um, too I never I remember speci- specifically thinking it when I was really into the lethal weapon franchise I remember being like I wish Mel Gibson was like my uncle like <laughs> I wanted Mel Gibson in my life <laughs> Wow. I had a hard turn on that later on in life, but uh, as a kid, yeah, Temple Doom was always my favorite Indiana Jones too. I was real into this whole trilogy as a kid, but the one that I watched by far the most, 
probably five times more than I ever watched the other ones was Temple of Doom. I always found parts of Raiders of the Lost Ark and Last Crusade a little boring. And to be honest, I still do at times. Like, I, mm -hmm. I think those movies have moments where they drag. This movie does not drag at all for me, and it never did as a kid. So that's part of it. And I think the short round of it all is probably a big factor. The fact that it's Indiana Jones with a little kid. Oh, so cute. When you are a kid, you're suddenly like, you can now picture yourself with Indiana Jones in a very one-to-one -one kind of way. And I think that's part of what makes it so appealing to children. I remember being jealous of him too, especially him in this and Goonies. I was like, man, uh -huh. I, can't, I can't do any of that. <laughs> I was like, "What's wrong with yeah. me? He's so young, but but he can do all he the, can he do, do these anything, these kicks and zip <laughs> he line knows karate." And, yeah, yeah. I do have memories of um, being a little afraid of the movie, but I think in only in a way that made me want to watch it more. You know, but mm -hmm. I have a, a memory of like hiding behind the couch and watching the whole Mola Ram sequence at the at the towards the end of the movie with the heart and everything, and all through growing up. It was my thing of like, this is the best one. I don't care what anybody says. It Most people say Raiders is the best one. I was like, far and away, every aspect of Temple of Doom is the best of the bunch. Upon this rewatch, I will say this is maybe the most conflicted I've been about a movie that we've watched on the podcast, only because there is some pretty indefensible stuff about this movie that can't really be denied watching it. Uh, in the year 2023 as a man in his 30s. Yeah. As much as I still do enjoy this movie, I still think this is a blast. And maybe it still is my favorite Indiana Jones movies when comparing them. Um, I was like kind of shocked at how offensive this movie is. Yeah. Were you shocked? Well, you were shocked? <laughs> I, I went in, I went in ready for it. I, I think. did too, I feel like. I was ready um, for it because, you know, that's the reputation that the, the, the three big reputations that this movie has are that it's shockingly violent and too intense for what is ultimately a franchise franchise for children, yeah. um, that it's culturally insensitive mm -hmm. and that it's misogynistic. Those this are the, is the most white savior movie I've ever oh, seen. Oh, this is the this is the definition of a white savior movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's literally the premise of the movie: a, a group of, of a culture of minorities pray for savior, and white man falls from the sky <laughs> and saves them, and they praise him like a god by the end of the movie. Like right. you cannot yeah. get a clearer definition of a white savior film. And I would say that's one of the least offensive <laughs> aspects of the movie is the white savior part of it. Yeah. Well, then you. Um I think the the Willie character will be an interesting conversation mm -hmm. because well, you have to factor in two things. Well, how do we feel about mm -hmm. it, watching it? Mm -hmm. And then you have the juxtaposition of the actress themselves who says, you know, I got a lot of heat for playing this part. I got roasted mm -hmm. for playing this kind of two-dimensional character but I had a lot of fun doing it. It was the best time of my life right. and I don't regret it, you know? And while also saying like, I am a feminist and I am mm -hmm. X, Y, and Z. Um, and I think I what just... saves that, which maybe we wait till we get into. We can talk about, about, let's Willie, just talk about that. But I feel like what saves her to me from me being like, cause I remember the first time I watched this movie, I loved her. Mm -hmm. And this time watching it being like, Ooh, this is a little like what the fuck but it 
didn't make me completely turn on her because of the actress, because of Kate Capshaw. She's so charming as an actress that even though is she is playing this thing of like just a woman who hates bugs and hates this and hates that <laughs> yeah. the way in which she is able to kind of like zing uh mm-hmm. indiana and like talks back to him and like nobody else talks back to him everybody else just praises him in this movie mm-hmm. and i think it's a lot just of kate capshaw's performance is like she has it feels like she has balls and is like Fuck yeah. you and like da da da. And even though she technically is the damsel in distress constantly, the way in which she performs it makes me like her still and doesn't make me turn on her. Yeah. But that's all a credit to the actress, I think. I've always regarded Willie as my favorite of the Indiana Jones. Love the name Willie too. Yeah. Cool name. I think a lot of people find the character to be extremely annoying. This is kind of the Franklin. She's very similar to Franklin in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where most people (laughs) find it. I mean, I think Willie is regarded as one of the most annoying characters in cinema, but certainly the most annoying character in the Indiana Jones franchise. I've never felt that I could. I couldn't. That's couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah, I find her completely charming. Yeah, me too. I enjoy her. What I enjoy the dynamic that she brings to this movie. I mean, people compare her to Karen Allen's character Miriam in, in Raiders of the Lost Ark. I have no issue with that character. I think that's a great character too, but I love the fact that they didn't repeat that. You know, like we don't need another Indiana Jones, but just female version. I love the dynamic that they're pairing this odd couple together to go on this crazy journey. To me, it makes the movie more dynamic. Yes, it's certainly not the most feminist approach to a female character. But I do like that she unapologetically likes what she likes. Me too. She's like, I want the diamond. I want fancy things. I mean, yeah. girl, I get it too. I don't want to be out there doing that. I want to be in a fancy hotel. And people like this exist. And I think that it's not fair or interesting to say that anytime you write a female character, they must be strong and smart and willing to do anything. I think you should be allowed to write flawed characters or annoying characters in any for any gender, for any person. And I understand that the reason why people are up in arms about it is because there's just a lot of that representation in movies, especially at the time. I think things have changed now. And that makes me look back on this with a little less resentment towards it because I'm like, we have plenty of strong female characters all around. I think there's room to have goofy ones. There's room to have ones that are Mm -hmm. materialistic and don't want to be on the adventure. And it works for the character. She's a singer at a nightclub who has been drug along on this journey. That's the way I would imagine... I would act if I was a singer at a nightclub. And so, and again, to me, it does not annoy me. Like I find her completely charming and I love that it's it's a foil for Indy rather than just like, yeah, now he's got another strong muscle to help him through who's always perfect. To me, it's more interesting. Yeah, and I mean, it's not a, char- a character completely conceived only by men. One of the writers was, uh, was female mm-hmm. and- and she's not uh, only a bumbling, buffooning idiot. She has growth. Yeah. I think the conversation is, yes, uh, you should be able to write a character like this, but not every movie should have a ca- if you exactly. If every single yeah. movie is uh, featuring women, that that's the complaint. Is like, hey, we want more characters. But if you look are- at the previous Indiana Jones movie, they did not do that with... So it's not like they're incapable. They chose to create a different dynamic with this. Totally, movie. yeah. What if you took? What if Indiana Jones was stuck on an adventure with somebody mm-hmm. who happened to be um, uh, a diva and a little bit of, uh, uh, 
uh, high maintenance and sensitive mm-hmm. and and putting them in the worst possible situation for comedic effect like that inherently is not an offensive right. uh, thought bubble but I think there's a difference between that and having like characters saying multiple times like hey don't uh, his name's Dr. Jones doll yeah. like yeah, we, yeah, yeah. those are details that to me add no value to the movie and just as a because ch- like let's be real kids are watching this movie yeah. we were kids when we watched it we see characters unironically calling a woman a doll mm. and those are the kinds of things that just reinforce those like subtle micro perspectives that shape the way that we treat other people. And they probably so. didn't need to give her two separate lines where she says, I cracked a nail. <laughs> yeah. I will say her obsession with jewels is bordering on uh, like parody. You know, it's yeah. like, it's like, Oh, what if a caricature of a woman yeah. who likes, like no woman ever like, Oh my God is like running around the floor, <laughs> like an animal trying to chase after like a jewel, you know? Um, uh, Let's talk about the the claims that this movie is culturally insensitive. Two episodes ago, we covered the Darjeeling Limited. That also had sort of similar modern claims that it was not necessarily a little culturally insensitive, but that it was using cultural appropriation. We hadn't watched that movie in a while in the same way that I hadn't seen Temple of Doom in a long time. We came out of Darjeeling Limited all agreeing that we personally didn't feel like the movie was being offensive in its use of the culture. I cannot say that at all for this movie. This oh, makes no. Darjeeling Limited look like a fucking travel guide yeah. to India in comparison. <laughs> I, and I was wondering, you know, I was going into this, I'm like, I'm very aware of it. I can imagine things in my mind that are probably insensitive, but I'm going to take the movie again and I'm going to see if how I feel about it. And that, I think, was the most surprising thing to me is that there was just no arguing that this movie is blatantly offensive. And, you know, we've talked about this before with other things. I don't necessarily think that it was coming from a malicious place on Spielberg or George Lucas's part. I think it's the word insensitivity, I think, is the perfect word. I think they were not in any way being sensitive to what they were playing around with. Mm-hmm. I think especially in this period of Spielberg's life, he's making movies. He's going he's accessing his inner child to come up with and make these movies. And I think this is a perfect example of his white privilege and his inner child not understanding that sometimes childish things and opinions are offensive. And he I don't think he necessarily was aware of how offensive they were being with this stuff. Of course not. Yeah, it's not it's, an excuse. It's rarely malicious, but it's, it's still, yeah. This movie was banned in India. They wouldn't let, allow them to film the, the movie in India. When you see their um, responses to it. Was it was banned? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The, they, they tried to shoot in India. And they had to show the script to the Indian government. And from Spielberg and the producers and George Lucas's perspective, it was all because they were using the wrong wordage. Like they didn't, uh, they, their claim was that the Indian government was like, you can't use the word Maharaja, which is basically just means like prince or king. Um, But it has a, it has a deeper meaning to Indian people and Spielberg. And then we're like, well, they wouldn't, they didn't want us to use the word Maharaja and so things like that are the reason why we chose not to shoot in India. But I know for a fact, there's no way that the government read that script and saw that dinner scene where they're eating bugs and monkey brains and snake guts and weren't pointing to that and going, you can't do this. <laughs> there's just no way they didn't say that. They that must have been pointing is, at that scene. Is, 
out of – George Lucas and Steven Spielberg are laughing so hard having the time of their life. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. What do we just put her at the table and, and just keep one-upping the, yeah. the grossest food you could imagine? It's like you really have no context that this is – Look at what you've put the characters in. Like, yeah, Yeah. in the special features, they're like, we always wanted to do a gross out dinner scene in a movie. And this felt like the movie to put it in. It felt like it was an idea that they had been wanting to do for a while. At least George Lucas had been wanting to do. And so it's like, I understand if you want to do that, there's ways you can make it work if you are being sensitive. Yeah. If if you're, if you're being considerate and they just weren't. And it sounds like this whole process, they weren't considerate of any anybody they were not considerate of the culture that they were talking about that they were filming in they weren't considerate to their audience you know that's part of the reason why this movie is so intense is that they weren't thinking about the fact that like kids are going to come to this movie they're they're kind of high on their own supply i promise you i mean like these there are real life film is such a powerful medium Mm -hmm. there is so many real life consequences to the subtle things that we do when when we don't realize it when we're being insensitive yes. like 100 percent, this shapes children's and myself in, included our perspective of f- other countries Absolutely, or india yeah. makes us afraid the first introduction you get when harrison ford uh is on the raft and he washes up on shore and mm-hmm. you see their faces and uh of our characters and their uh, short round scared she's mm-hmm. scared mm-hmm. and it turns around and it's a under a low angle shot looking up at this man and the music is ominous and yep. the whole village it, it looks like hell they're show, they're <laughs> making they're making a choice to to pick to pick this village as hell and granted well there's a no that maybe is going a little too far when it no, comes it's to that not. village when, I think they pretty ev- quickly start to gain your sympathy for these people. Yes, I'm talking about the introduction you have right. to the to the village. There's a story component to it that just explains why things are in this condition. Yeah. There the rock has been stolen. Mm-hmm. The rock supposedly brings good fortune, yeah. food, health, life to the village and without it, it descends into the state that it's in now. Right. But and their again, children have been stolen too. Uh, their children have been stolen. That, but again, a kid watching the movie is is not going to be able to make that differentiation. It's like all of those moments of depicting Indian culture, Chinese culture, you know, it's just like uh, there's violence, there's death, there's misery, everything is gloomy, there's no colors, There's they deliberately took all colors and pop yeah. out at the end when the stone returns, now all of a sudden there's yeah. their entire wardrobe yeah. has changed. <laughs> I mean, some of that is what appeals to me about this movie. That's what makes this one interesting compared to the other ones is that this one is tonally going much darker in a way that I find very fascinating and entertaining. They they um, were intentionally doing that. They were taking the Star Wars model of Empire Strikes Back being the second in the Star Wars trilogy, being the darker of the trilogy. It worked for George Lucas in that. And so it was George Lucas's idea that this would be a darker tone. I think Spielberg, this is movie came out in 1984. He's coming off of doing Poltergeist in 1982 with Toby Hooper. It seems like he was a little bit in his like horror phase. He also did Twilight Zone, the movie, in 1983. So Spielberg's like, I think, interested and excited about playing in the horror jo- uh, like tone for this movie. And also, it should be noted too that George Lucas had just gone through a very nasty divorce at this time, 
And he admitted now that he was like not in a good mood. He wasn't necessarily in a great place when they were creating this movie. Sure, but that's all that you're talking I'm about. Not, I'm dark- not making excuses. I'm just giving context yeah. for the film. Darkness is different than cultural insensitivity. Oh, yeah, but for sure. For also, sure. His I'm not choice, arguing so like, Oh, my not. God. My friends Willard and Gloria um, went to India one time, and, and I'm, <laughs> yes. I'm pretty sure they like India. They're the right writers yes. for this script. You know? <laughs> well, just and ultimately, like, just They to, couldn't be more embarrassing. To wrap up the cultural insensitivity conversation, they had plenty of opportunities to change the script. They had plenty of people out there saying, this is offensive, and they chose not to listen to them. And I think part of that is because they're privileged mm-hmm. they're they are high on their own supply they're the biggest filmmakers in america and yeah. the culture of our time america at that time too i think was not willing to listen to other cultures in their mind the indian government may as well have been a fringe group to them they didn't feel the need to have to listen to their notes even though they were doing a movie about those people and that just tells you where everybody was at the time yeah that's american uh, that's why we're the most embarrassing people in the world <laughs> exactly we don't care about what other we don't see other countries as being relevant you exactly know? and i think ultimately that's also because there was not representation for those people in American films at the time, it was all white people. And so I think that's an evolution that we, where we're at now with the state of our film and television and media in general is much more representative of all cultures. And there, nowadays, you couldn't just ignore that kind of a thing because there's too many people who would be vocal about it and you have to listen to it. And hopefully you would be more uh, willing to listen to it too. I think if anything, that's what they should be ashamed of is that they chose not to listen to the people who were saying, please don't do this. Right. Um, and it, and they regret it. You know, I think both, especially Spielberg and I think George Lucas to a degree, they look back on this movie with a little bit of regret. Spielberg has said he doesn't really connect to this one. He says it's his least favorite of the Indiana Jones movies. He's done that with a handful of his movies. Spielberg doesn't connect with the ending of uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind because he's like, as a father, I would never walk onto that spaceship and abandon my family like Richard Dreyfuss does. But he's like, but I wasn't a father at the time. And so it felt like the right move to me. Now I would totally would not do that ending anymore. Yeah. Um, and I think he totally looks back on this movie. And he's like, I wouldn't make it as dark. I wouldn't do all these things. From what I can tell, Spielberg didn't necessarily want to make another Indiana Jones, but it was happening. The train was moving and he didn't want to relinquish control to somebody else. Yeah. George so he seems felt like, like he, he needed... could be a little bit of a bully too. Yeah, exactly. Be a, kind of afraid of George. Yeah. And the way George puts it, he's like, you know, when you're making a movie, you you don't exactly know what the totality of it's going to be. He's like, you make a choice to do a dark thing here. And then you're like, oh, we should do a light thing here. So then they do a light yeah. thing. And then he's like, and then you end up doing two dark things and then one light thing. And ultimately, when you put it together, you realize, oh, shit, we made something way darker than what we expected. Right. So I think that happened a little bit here. Because I got to say, watching this now, I was still kind of jaw dropped at how intense this movie gets from the get go. Indiana Jones throws a flaming shish kebab into a guy's stomach as he screams bloody murder. When that happened, Corey said, is this a dream sequence? I did think it was was a dream sequence. It was so boom to 11. And this is a PG movie. (laughs) It's a PG movie. P Was PG-13 not a thing So that's the thing. This movie created PG-13. So this came out in 1984. This movie and Gremlins both came out with the ratings of PG. And people Gremlins went, fits that. 
but Gremlins is also pretty intense too. Gremlins has a lot of vi- violence in it. It's violence towards Gremlins, but like a Gremlin <laughs> gets thrown into a microwave and explodes. One gets chopped up in a blender. It's culturally insensitive to Gremlins. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with the one-two punch of this movie and Gremlins coming out and people, parents taking their kids to go see these movies and kids crying in the theaters and parents being <laughs> like, what the fuck? Did you make me show my kids? There was an outcry and Spielberg was like, you know what? Maybe they're right, but there's only PG and there's R and there's nothing in between. And so Spielberg called the head of the MPAA and was like, do you think that you can come up with an in-between? Wow. He he suggested either PG-13 or PG-14 and... They were like noted, and a couple months later, they were like, "Okay, we're gonna re- we are going to for the first time in decades create a new rating of PG thirteen, so that movies like this that shouldn't be necessarily rated R, although I would say that's maybe debatable for this movie. Uh. A man, you see a close up of a fist going into a man's chest and pulling out a heart. I'm and just then surprised. He's, he's I'm just dunked in lava, and you watch him as he engulfs in flames, screaming. <laughs> and yet, Willie somehow gets to the same point that yeah. he does, and gets a sunburn. Totally fine. She gets yeah. a sunburn. Yeah. I mean, this movie is quite violent. Were either of you as children scared? Were you like, this is well, a scary movie? No, but probably shocked. It didn't. Nothing in this movie haunted you as a child, though. The heart sequence was pretty intense. Yes, it was sure. very intense. I remember um, one time lying to a friend saying that I had seen an NC-17 movie. <laughs> I told them that I was in a video store and they had an NC-17 movie playing on the TV. And I described to them the scene that I watched. And I essentially just described to them the heart pullout scene. And they bought it. They were like, wow, you really have seen an NC-17 movie. <laughs> Kids are- Which in hindsight, it's, it's still intense, but like they cut around it pretty, uh-huh. pretty hard. Yeah. Well, I think they had, in some level, they knew they could only show so much. But even right. just the concept of it would never be in a kid's movie nowadays. Yeah. It would be unfathomable to release a movie that you knew would make kids cry. Like, no tears can be shed anymore. (laughs) Well, now, yeah, it'll happen just from, like, the image of, like, a scary dragon or something, and and people got to apologize for it. A cartoon dragon. That's a good, um, if there's any listeners who make trivia nights for bars, Mm -hmm. that's a good question. Like, which director? created PG-13. The PG-13, yeah. Feels like it would be at one of those. Uh, let's take a quick break and we will come right back and talk more about Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Sit and pop the 
Welcome back to Cinema Possess. We are talking Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. So like all the Indiana Jones movies, this one opens with the Paramount logo that then turns into a giant gong that also has the Paramount logo like embossed on it, which is fun. That's cool. All of the all the Indiana Jones movies start with the Paramount logo and then fade into something that looks like the Paramount logo. We uh, open on this great musical dance number. Anything goes. Anything goes. And you know what? That's like the theme of the fucking movie. Anything goes with this movie. She had to learn Mandarin to yeah. be able to do this. Yeah. It is a very cool opening scene. It's extremely cool. Yeah. It Kate, is cool. Kate Capshaw is leading the way. She's singing the song all in Mandarin. It's actually her voice, too. She did her own singing. Uh, and apparently, too, she learned a huge tap dance number that ended up getting cut because they didn't know what the dress was going to be like until the shoot day. And they put her in the dress and they realized she's uh. not going to be able to tap dance in it. She said she was heartbroken. That's the thing yeah. about Anything Goes. It's got some of the craziest tap numbers ever. Mm-hmm. But the, even still, this is still a pretty great musical sequence they yeah, wanted the to do. Yeah, the dance scene is incredible. It's very Busby Berkeley style. It's, I think, his first foray into doing musical stuff. Obviously, Spielberg would later go on to do West Side Story. Um, if I had shows, any got musical it. talent, this was, it was my dream growing up, was that I wanted to be in musicals like anything goes. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't quite have enough rhythm. Sure. Unfortunately. I have never been in a musical. So yeah, Kate Capshaw, you can see on the on the behind the scenes that they are flirting. She's in that like red gown and everything. She like comes to set and Spielberg's like, oh my God, wow, I, this is, I, I'm I'm in awe. And she was like, do you want to go to prom with me? Every, <laughs> you can, like, that's see them every director, every <laughs> yeah, sure. single that's, director. That's cute because they, they did end up getting married, but he was married. No, he was not. He, are you sure he wasn't married during uh-huh. this movie? Mm-hmm. I thought that he left his wife for Kate Capshaw. He didn't, he didn't get married to Kate Capshaw until many years later. So he like then four got, years later. he got into a relationship after this movie with Amy Irving. Oh. But during this movie, he was single. And then he left her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not from not on the film. It wasn't like a film. I can't believe the number of people who leave their partners for somebody that they meet on set. Like, no wonder why partners of filmmakers are always so anxious. (laughs) How do you just you just go on a set and you fall in love with someone new? It's it's called that's it. Yeah, yeah. It's called a showman. A showman's. A showman's. Interesting. Fucking kill you. I mean, odds are not in your favor, Corey. 50 percent. Well, guess what? Hey, you know, what we, you know, you know what we didn't sign yeah. a prenup. So I'm about to get fifty percent of everything. Yeah. It goes then, both just ways. like Spielberg's. Corey, wife. let's be I, real. I have to. I often every couple of months I have to reckon with the fact that Corey has to kiss another person. Yeah. In a scene. If it's good, let's she be real. To if it's going to happen, it's going to be Corey. She's going to be <laughs> yeah. smashing on set. And I've had to do that since we started dating. Since <laughs> senior year of true, high school, I've had true, to reckon. True. Jack with her can't even talk to someone without me being there to, to hold his hand um true you you're going if if anything happens you better tell yeah, me you're too the, yeah i'm going down with him yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, i would be so shocked if i ever caught me caught jack, caught jack. <laughs> cheating I'd be like on this me? is so he's not i would be scared i'd be like everything i thought you'd oh, be like man, i feel like i want to tell bring Corey it back to I'm, vanderpump rules again like yeah, i like to scandal. this is very scandal um, Justin, if you knew that Jack was cheating on me, would you tell me or would you not tell me? 
Does Jack know that I know? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a tough question because I think I do really feel like it's not my business. And I think he has to decide. Wow. I think there are, wow. there are... I think the responsibility on you would be to try to convince me that it's the right thing to do for me to tell Corey. I think that oh, would be... I disagree. You don't think so? But how could I possibly know what's right for you and Corey? Because <laughs> what, Justin, just what, he's cheating but, but, on me. Either way, what's right for me and Corey is definitely what's wrong is an affair. Well, I think I would I would argue for you to stop doing it. I wouldn't yeah, argue I mean. for I wouldn't oh, argue for you to, to tell, tell Corey. Corey. I, see, I would I say stop. Well, I know who I can trust here. <laughs> who I can. Well, but Corey, th- the, my only point is that if I decide to get on on. Uh, oh yeah, I mean it's horrible. Our lives are it, all being blown. It's going to ruin your life. Like so, I I don't know if I have the ability to say. You should definitely tell. What if Jack cheated on you one time? You never found out about it. It's he not did one it. time. It's an affair. Seven months. Well, this guy, I mean, you're you're compa- you're having this conversation in context with a uh, a guy who's a mon- <laughs> obviously a monster. So, what did he get? Did is there more? What's the is there more drama since last time? Oh my god! Yeah, it's, I mean it's all blown up. We just watched the um. They they just they all got to confront him. Yeah. And and the person that he had the affair. I mean, with. his life is. And is her he life off? Is he going to be off the show? No, no. this makes for no. excellent reality television. Did you have you heard of the drama with the chefs? Uh, oh my god, for the horses! Ho- horses! Yes. yes, that's what crazy. did you? I'm just curious how telephone works. What did you hear about what he did with cats? That <laughs> <laughs> he was he strangled. He them. strangled. I mean, there's been and so jerked many, off. Yeah, while strangling them. And that his yeah, wife said that that's yeah. But now apparently you, it's really easy to get a reservation. Not that they, it had nothing to do with the food at the restaurant. He wasn't cooking. I've heard some people say like he was cooking cats or something, but it sounds like it was that's all so insane. It's always so in the privacy went, of his bedroom. Over the course of three days, three different people. First person came up to me. He's like, "Yeah, it's crazy. He's like he he killed he killed cats." Second person, yeah, it's crazy. He ki- strangled cats while jerking off to them. Mm-hmm. Third person, yeah, he used to fuck cats. <laughs> like, fuck from killing cats to now he's going to, cats. to another country to fuck cats. Why would he have to go to another country? <laughs> Underground cat sex ring, I don't know. Wow. <sighs> so we get, we get to meet Indiana Jones. He's in this fly-ass white tuxedo with a red... Rose on the lapel. Kind of like what you wore to our wedding. Exactly. I mean, that was this outfit was uh, one of my references when I was looking for a white tuxedo for our wedding. This mm-hmm. and Brad Pitt from Inglorious Bastards, essentially wearing the same thing. And this whole opening sequence is kind of like a James Bond opening. What I what's cool about it is that it's like we're at the end of another story. We're yeah. sort of in like the climax of a story that we didn't see, and we get to kind of watch the whole ending before we then go into a new story. That's fun. We are in Shanghai, 1935. So this takes place two years before Raiders of the Lost Ark. What's interesting is that Harrison Ford felt like he needed to get into better shape because you know he got three years older and he's supposed to be two years younger. And well, so he did. He well, also his shirt, because his shirt's off for a the big last portion half of it. Yeah. And it's looking good. He used um, this trainer, you know, Body by Jake. Have you heard of that? Famous Hollywood trainer to the stars. His name was like Jake something, um, but he was a big Hollywood trainer. And that was Body the, by Jake. You've oh, never heard of that? Up. No. That's what uh, a lot of people do like body by blank. And it started yeah. with body by Jake. He's doing a deal with this guy named Lao Shea, who is played by Roy Chiayo, 
who was also in Bloodsport. You might recognize him. I think he's fucking good. This guy Lausche, like he's for only being in this opening sequence, he's very memorable. Like I'll never, I always remember this this guy. <laughs> and now you give me the diamond. Are you trying to develop a sense of humor, or am I going deaf? <laughs> <laughs> that antidote to what the poison you just drink up <laughs> we see that indy has a little partner there too i don't know his name i don't know if you ever really hear his name but um he's there sort of helping him there's a fun he reveals himself as a waiter and indiana jones says good service here and uh, this guy ends up getting shot and there's kind of a nice little moment where he has a really poignant line as he's dying in Indiana's arms. He says, I followed you on so many adventures, but into the great unknown mystery, I go first, Indy. It's sad. I thought that was kind of a, a beautiful little Yeah, it's both line. incredibly cheesy and hokey, <laughs> but also kind of fun. But that's yeah. what the whole movie is. The whole this whole movie is kind of a pastiche of adventure films. But also it's like totally setting the standard for adventure films too. Like can't be denied that they are making iconic stuff with all of these movies. And I think this one part of the reason why I like it so much is I feel like this one has maybe the most iconic shit in it. Problematic for sure, but Iconic. So when when all hell breaks loose, one of the first thing Indiana Jones does is pick up a flaming shish kebab and spear this guy in the stomach with it as he then fires his gun into some other dude. And Corey was like, is this a fucking dream sequence? Because <laughs> I for sure heightens. thought he was going to wake up. I, I just can't believe that Indiana Jones is a children's hero. And like, <laughs> you would think he would be a little bit more like Batman. Batman doesn't kill anybody. Really? Intentionally. Yeah, he that's doesn't his whole thing. Intentionally? Yeah. That's his whole thing. That's his whole and so thing. That's, his that's thing. kind of part of the fun of it is like, how is Batman going to deal with these situations uh, with these psychopaths So Batman's sometimes. not trying to kill Joker? He never kills mm-hmm. a single soul. So yeah, Indiana Jones seems like he would fit the bill of like, I'm going to incapacitate these yeah. people. Well, they, I'm not going to murder them. Raiders of the Lost Ark sets that that whole famous sequence where the sword fighter comes at him and he just pululls his gun out and shoots him in the chest yeah in cold blooded blood. murder so <laughs> like yeah Indiana Jones is definitely not against killing whoever he's got to yeah. kill to survive um I love that all the bad guys in this are like laughing like the hyenas in Roger Rabbit you know when they shoot the guns they're like ha even when one of the when the guy is uh gets speared with the shish kebab, he's in the middle of laughing. So his screams of pain are also sort of like blending with his maniacal yeah. laughter. Very Roger Rabbit. I love it. They end up flying out the the window of this place, doing a fun thing where they fall through all the awnings of the building and they land into a cab that is being driven by Kiwe Kwan. Wow, holy smoke! Class landing! Short round. Step on it! I think he was eight years old when he shot this. And movie. this goes back to Oh Brother Art, though, because he looked just like Quinn with the blocks He's on got his blocks shoes. on his feet to drive. He is so cute. I can't. The story behind Kiwe Kwan is that his brother was actually auditioning. And Kiwe Kwan oh, that hurts. came that hurts. to assist him. And it sounded like they were relying on Kiwe to communicate their direction to his brother. I assume it was his little brother. 
And the whole time when, as he was like telling his brother how to do the scene, everybody would just get mesmerized with key. And so they eventually were like, do you want to audition? And he did. And they were like, we have to send this tape to Spielberg right now. Like he's exactly what he's looking for. And yeah, he'd never been, he had never even seen brother. He had never seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. He hadn't seen any of Spielberg's movies. So he had no clue. He was just having a good time. And yeah, he's so natural and good and provides a lot of like depth to the character. He's not just being a kid saying lines. Like he has real interiority with his deliveries and stuff. When he's sad, he's really sad. And yeah, um, he's great. And you, uh, for those who don't know, you would have maybe just recently seen him in Everything Everywhere All at Once. He won Best Supporting Actor at the Oscars. I mean, this guy has had the true story. It's so sweet. Because this obviously being the first thing he ever did as a little kid, huge ass movie. He then does, goes on and does Goonies, which is another huge movie. He must be thinking he's going to have the biggest, best career for the rest of his life. And then all of a sudden, boom, he just is not getting roles anymore. He goes for years of not being a working actor to the point where he starts to have to come to terms with the fact that if he wants to stay in the industry, he's got to be behind the scenes. And he started, he became a fight choreographer, but always struggled, I think. And uh, so this recent, you know, being cast in everything, everywhere, all at once and having this resurgence in his career and then winning a fucking Oscar has got to feel like an absolute dream come true, you know, and he's in his 40s now, I would assume. Yeah. Which Um, also, it's not like, you know, you don't give up on your dreams, but it's okay if sometimes we take a detour from mm -hmm. our dreams and we do other things. And then when the universe wills it, you can still come back and and find success. And he seems so happy about it. And he looks back on all this stuff really positively. Like he's, he's a real defender of this movie, obviously. He's not making any points that negate the critiques of this movie but he's just sort of like from my experience this movie is was was magical dream and like you know he chose to cast me a a person who was not being represented in films and so like he gives spielberg that credit for doing that do you know if the casting call was looking for an asian actor or they didn't say specifically but the fact that they saw him and then called spielberg and said he's exactly what you're looking for makes me think that they probably and his brother were. was auditioning yeah. so yeah so my guess is probably which is a smart move i'm glad he's not a little white kid especially yeah. considering all the other every bad guy in this movie is non-white mm-hmm. usually of asian mm-hmm. one thing to note about this opening sequence is it all takes place at night so right away you're getting literally a darker tone to the movie from the jump. They get into a plane, a cameo from Dan Aykroyd. He, did you notice that? That Dan Aykroyd is the one taking them to the plane? And we get this great sequence where they're in the plane. We get the classic map, you know, with the red line flying over it to show the. this is where the Indiana Jones thing kicks right in. Great John Williams score in this as usual. This upcoming part is like the sus- suspension of disbelief that comes with movies and specifically children's movies that I, I have a really hard time getting over. It's like these knuckleheads flying the plane uh-huh. whose one job is to kill Indiana Jones tiptoe past him while he's sleeping <laughs> laughing. <laughs> And parachute, take the risk of parachuting <laughs> mm-hmm. out of the plane, not only to their own lives, but that Indiana Jones, the greatest superhero to ever live, yeah. is not going to get out of this situation. Tiptoe up to him, put a gun to his head, blast, <laughs> blast his him. brains yeah. out. Don't don't just it's crash the, the plane. The movie's over. <laughs> <laughs> we would never have had Crystal Skull. <laughs> There's no parachutes, and so the only thing left in the plane is this life draft. And so they... 
<laughs> jump in it and jump out of the plane in it. And it's a great one shot where you actually That's see this. That's the one where I thought like, this is fucking, this could never work. And I was like, it's a movie. Or but it's, it's fucking awesome. I mean, it is yeah. cool. They'd be dead. Yeah. The second they hit the water, they'd be dead. <laughs> well, it would never blow up in the air. I read an interview with Frank Marshall, who was a producer on the film, and he also did Second Unit. It was his job to shoot this life raft. And you know what they did? They put weighted dummies into a real life raft that had a mechanism that when it when it was thrown out of the plane, it would release the the inflation mechanism. They were like, this is probably going to take us a thousand times to get right. They did it one try. It's one shot, one time. They threw it out of the plane. It inflated perfectly. The dummies did not fly out. They all landed wow. and it continued down the mountain. And so Frank Marshall was like, it's the one and only take we had to do. As you see in the movie, it works. Granted, they probably would have broken bones in real life, but it happened. Like we did it. It's real. That's not ILM. That's not special effects. Yeah, but a dummy is not a human. Different weights, you know, different situation. Also, too, I'm not arguing that it couldn't inflate in the air. I'm arguing that the impact would splatter them. Yes, yes. But it didn't It didn't knock them out of the tubes or knock them out of the raft. Yeah. Um, either way, it's a pretty awesome shot because it is all just what well, you see it come out of the plane and inflate perfectly and land on the ground in one shot. It looks awesome. Yeah. And then they like take a fucking toboggan ride down the snowy mountain. That's really <laughs> fun. Did you ever play the Indiana Jones game for Super Nintendo? Mm, it was not, all three movies on one game. Not really. No. Well, I did. And it was fun. And this this was my favorite one. You had to play through. You had to like start on Raiders of the Lost Ark and then make it to Temple and then make it to Crusade. But Temple was my favorite. And the f like first level in it is this raft thing. And you have to dodge all the rocks and the trees. And you get a little Nintendo version of the John Williams. Like, that's fun. And they had a good, uh, the same company did a uh, Return of the Jedi. It was like Super Star Wars. They did one for all of them, but I had Return of the Jedi. Did you not have a Super Nintendo? I never owned one, no. You were a Sega guy, right? I had a Sega, yeah. Genesis, and then PlayStation was my next big console. Nothing for me. Yeah, Super Nintendo is easily the greatest system that ever came out that I never had. And from what I can remember, the graphics in the game were pretty good. Like, I remember thinking they were good even at the time compared mm -hmm. to other games. So yeah, they make it, they survive, they end up uh, landing in a river and floating down it, and they end up floating upon this village. They bring them in, they feed them. Of course, Willie does not want to eat the food, and Indiana is like, you're insulting them and you're embarrassing me. Mm -hmm. They explain to him that this village is broken, one, because all of their children have been stolen. They not only took all the children, but they took the sacred stone that the village has that... Um, has since then kind of brought famine to the land, the crops won't grow, and they're fucked. They came from palace and took Sivalinga from our village. Took what? It's a stone, a sacred stone from a shrine that protects the village. It is why Siva brought you here. <laughs> We weren't brought here. Our plane crashed. It crashed? No, no. We prayed to Siva to help us find the stone. It was Shiva who made you fall from the sky. So you will go to Pankot Palace to find Sivalinga 
and bring back to us. Bring back to us. And I really like this actor who explains it all to them. Apparently, he did not speak any English, but he could mimic. And so Spielberg, in the scene, was saying the lines, and then he would say it. That's why there's these big pauses in between all of his lines, is because Spielberg himself is actually saying the lines. But it creates a good tone, and I think he's good. He's very mm-hmm. likable, very charming actor. And so, yeah, they send him on their way to Pancot on elephants. Uh, did you hear that Harrison Ford had some pretty extreme back trouble on this movie? I did. He herniated his disc uh, in the fight scene in the hotel room, yeah. in the bedroom. He claims it was inflamed first by the elephants. Mm-hmm. So they shot this elephant scene first, and it's very difficult to sit and ride on elephants because they're so wide. It's sort of, yeah. He was like, they kind of pull you apart. And after doing these scenes with the elephants, Harrison Ford was like, my back is kind of starting to get fucked up. And slowly it started to get worse. And then, yeah, they were shooting a fight scene that comes later on the movie, and he, he pulled it. And had to be immediately rushed back to America. Did you hear about this papaya enzyme? Yes, this Never controversial. Well, I think it's been banned now. Wait, what is it? It's it's a it's called um, papaya enzyme treatment. Apparently, it worked though. It worked for Harrison Ford, but apparently, it paralyzed a lot of other people. Oh, which is why oh it's my no longer so it was controversial even at the time. And I think Harrison Ford said that it had only the procedure had only been done seven times prior to it being done on him. But it was like a thing in which they took papaya enzymes, made like a gelatin out of it and would inject it into your spine to like fill in where your slipped discs (gasps) had had failed. And um, I guess he must have been pretty fucking desperate. Like he probably must have been in a lot of pain for them to fly him off the set to go have an immediate papaya enzyme surgery that even at the time was controversial, could have killed him or not killed him, but paralyzed him. Worked on him. He's like it. I was a full success story about this thing. But then I think later it paralyzed enough people that they were like, you can, this cannot be a procedure. So it's no longer done anymore. I can't believe they still were like shooting with him when he was in that condition. And then George Lucas, Spielberg calls George Lucas and is like, you got to help me out. I I don't know what to do. (laughs) And he flies George Lucas to the rescue, flies Mm -hmm. to set. It's like, what are you guys doing? Like, just stop, you know, (laughs) send him home. But in the meantime, while he was getting a surgery, which took six weeks, he got the surgery and then he had to heal. So they had to put the pause on the movie. That No, they didn't. They kept shooting. They shot with Vic Armstrong, uh, who was the stunt double for Harrison Ford. They did everything they could possibly do without showing his face. Wow. So they shot entire fight scenes where all they had to do is when Harrison Ford came back six weeks later, they just had to shoot his close-ups for these scenes, but that was it. Everything else had been shot with Vic. That's pretty cool. Justin and I have some experience with that. We did a whole uh, series where we had to oftentimes, very often, use a, a stunt double to shoot big portions of scenes with our lead actor. Mostly to save time, but also to just make everything run a little smoother and keep emotions good. And I guarantee you that six weeks of just working with Vic Armstrong was probably the most fun because our in our experience, stunt people are the funnest people to shoot with because everything looks awesome and they're always willing to do something crazier. And usually yeah. it's their idea to do it. And you're like, yeah, let's do something more fun. And they're just like the most game people. They want to do anything. We've never worked with a stuntman that sucked. They've always been great. I got to have a stunt double on 911, mm-hmm. even though they still blasted my ass with water and I flew yeah, across the, the bus. The one thing that they probably should have used a stunt double, they used a real thing. <laughs> you flew across the bus? Yeah, yeah, in the episode of that one that I'm in, I like I'm supposed to get my head banging across a, a pole that you hold on a bus. 
and they had a stunt double. And then they were like, we just need you to be in place for it, like to get hit by the water like once or twice. And they like had the stunt double teach me like how to hit my head. And they weren't. I don't think they were supposed to hit me with water as hard as they did. But they like full like fire hydrant times a hundred blasted me with water and I straight up flew like yeah. flew and they did were like are you okay real, did they didn't they know realize? I was gonna do that they didn't think I was gonna get I don't think that they thought I was gonna get hit that direct and I but got they, hit. They when they over. saw it they realized this is bad yeah but they got the shot but they were and then, no and then they asked me to do it again they were like honestly it looks really good can we do it again and I was stupid I should have texted my agent before that to get a bump because I totally could have gotten a bump, but I texted them after and she was like, yeah, it's probably too late. You know, it's kind of becoming your reputation for like doing awesome stunts and hurting yourself. (laughs) I didn't hurt myself. Watch your back. I mean, it's going to, one of these days. No, don't say that. It's not going to happen. One of the short films that we shot for Corey, your short film, you do an amazing stunt where you fly through a table. I did. I'm lucky I didn't paralyze myself on that Honestly, it's insane. We did everything we could to make it as safe as possible, but you still definitely hurt yourself. What did you hit your head on again? I didn't hit my head. It was supposed to look like I was crashing through that table and everybody thought I hit my head on the couch right behind Uh me because the way in which my head like flung. Rocket back. I didn't hit my head on the couch, but my head flung so hard. My neck did because the way I just like fucking projected myself back that I gave myself whiplash. It hurt so bad. My neck went completely stiff. Terrible, Mm. terrible. I'll never forget, though, us doing that and the set just going completely silent. Because it looked like you cracked the back of your head. And Ryan, my directing partner, running up to me being like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Let's just keep going. Let's keep going. Because we were running so behind schedule. Yeah. Well, you did Uh, it. It looks great. But we got the shot. That's all that matters. (laughs) There's a fun campfire scene that Willie is just kind of attacked by the jungle as Indiana Jones and Short Round play poker and just make fun of her the whole time. And a great gag where the elephant keeps pushing on her. I think, you know, this scene, I think on paper, that's an example of of an annoying scene. Oh, my God. Really? That's that's this character's moment in this scene is just running around screaming because she's so sensitive but i think the way that spielberg crafts that scene and directs it and turns it into more of a slapstick and the way she commits to it too i think that scene is really funny i think she's really good are a great comedy duo Mm -hmm. yeah yeah you get the you get payoff you know it's it's not funny on its own and it's maybe insulting on its own but when combined with the shtick yeah. of mm-hmm. indiana jones having a argument yeah. with short round about the card game and ignoring her yeah. it's hilarious and that's the thing that you have to consider too is like any actor will tell you that it's fun to play a bad guy it's fun to play a goofy person a stupid person and so if every if you can't do that for a female character because it might be regarded as like well you can't paint them as being conceited or bad or goofy or dumb then you're kind of depriving female actors of fun roles and i think that goes back to your point that she was like people critiqued me for it but i have fucking blast doing yeah. this and, and i think from a comedic performance standpoint she's great yeah and you're ignoring you're ignoring your own like the morality of people to just assume that like to to be in a position of a critic and judge someone mm-hmm. else without 
ever reflecting on our own sort of twisted nature that everyone, every single righteous person has a twisted yeah. nature. Not only that, I'm, I could sit here all day and critique her character and, and that's fine. But to rip her apart and yeah. say, shame on you for playing this, this yeah, that's role. Ridiculous. Every single one of you would <laughs> sign that contract in a heartbeat if you were offered the part. Like that they would turn it down, that they wouldn't take the money, that <laughs> yeah. they wouldn't have... the they get to travel all over the world with you know and, and you wouldn't as an actor read that and be like this is going to be fun this is yeah. going to be fun part to play and spielberg as the director yeah, yeah. like uh, a snake ends up a big huge serpent or a, like a python comes slithering down and she thinks it's the elephant's trunk grabs it and throws it i hate that elephant it's good i love the scene and also too like this is part of what i like about indiana jones is uh, and specifically what Harrison Ford brings to it. But just that beat when he gets scared and goes back and mm-hmm. you see Ooh. human qualities on his face. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he has some vulnerabilities that that bring dimension to the character. And the fact that he's so close with this little kid, too. It's like, yeah. it's That's really... That's the most heart. Because that, they're the true love story of this movie. They truly are. And it's so... They're just so cute together. They have the best chemistry. Kiwi Kwan is... Amazing in this role. He's such By a the good way, actor. Um, I forget who George Lucas's dog. Oh, George Lucas's dog is Indiana. Right. Willie is Steven Spielberg's dog, mm-hmm. and Short Round is the third person. The writer. Yeah, dog. Jack was yeah. telling me that. So, so I was like, like Short Round dog. racist, but it's I guess it's someone's dog. They probably had like a pug or something, like a yeah. little bulldog. So they end up making it to Pancot Palace, which. Is supposedly a, an abandoned palace. That's what Indiana Jones says. He's like, Pancot Palace has been abandoned for decades. There's a mystery around what they're walking into. They don't really know who these people are or what they're about. This whole sequence to me has like an Agatha Christie quality to it because you're kind of trying to get the read on everybody and they're trying to get the read on him. They don't know why Indiana Jones is there. They take them in and they treat them to this big lavish dinner. The movie does a terrible job of explaining anything when it comes to this dinner. And so that's part of the problem. I think here. the thing if I was a kid that would have haunted me the most about this whole movie was the cutting of the snake and the little baby snakes mm-hmm. all coming out. That's the grossest part of the whole movie to me. It's just absurd. It's absurd. Just snake like people surprise. pouring snakes down their mouth. Oh, like, yeah. Well, I think ugh. those are eels. Right? Oh yeah. They are eels, I think. What's the surprise? Yeah, they, they get brought Snake surprise, they get brought these big uh, beetles that they break open and slurp the guts out of. They get brought soup with eyeballs <laughs> in it, and the, the the dessert is chilled monkey brains, which are literally monkey heads that are brought out. They pop the tops off of them, and they eat the brains. Which was just custard with raspberry, mm-hmm. raspberry sauce. Mm. As a kid, this sequence was fun as hell for me. I mean, the sequence is still technically fun. It's fun to watch gross out stuff. It doesn't make sense. And this is a big tonal clash. This is where it's like, this is overly goofy, you know, cultural insensitivity aside, this is just really goofy. And so for a movie that otherwise is kind of playing to adults most of the time, this does feel like very childish, which it seems like that's the whole impetus for the scene is they wanted to do something goofy and gross and childish and, um, didn't consider at all the the cultural ramifications of it. Part of it is that Indiana Jones isn't reacting to any of it. And so as when you're watching as an audience member, you're clearly seeing Willie and short round being totally disgusted and grossed out by what they're seeing. Indiana Jones is acting like everything is normal. So it's hard for you as the audience to decipher, 
is the movie saying this is a normal dinner in Pankot? Or is the movie saying this is abnormal? And I think it's supposed to be abnormal. Like, I think ultimately what we learn is that this group of people, this this kingdom has been like, they're all sort of under a trance of this evil cult. If that had been more... I don't... It's not related to the cult. This is just them being Gross assholes. out of humor, yeah. yeah. You, th- you, th- you don't think that the, the cult... Not one, not one bit. Well, n- this doesn't matter because it's not in the movie, but apparently the original script does have a line in which Indiana Jones himself says, Hindu people would never touch meat. So I don't know who these people are. You know, well, like, if that line would have been in there. That would have they made didn't a put they didn't feature but, it in the movie, but it's 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 a line that implies that Indiana Jones says something is wrong about this dinner. It doesn't matter if it doesn't come across exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. If they would have included that line, it, the scene would have had a much different feeling. So yeah, this is the main sequence that people point to as like probably the most culturally insensitive thing in the movie, and I can't deny it. It is, and also in the scene, what we see is there's all this talk of the Maharaja, the king of this group. And when we finally get the reveal, we see that the Maharaja is a child. And then they have a conversation here about the thuggy cult, which thuggies are um, sort of a urban legend, right? Like, are there, from what I can tell, thuggies aren't, there's no proof that there were actually were thuggies. But back then and, and when they made this movie, they were sort of known as like a cult from India that were very violent, that... Um, were thieves and would kill people and were sort of a scary gang. I think even at the time, we're sort of like some people were like they never existed. And I think nowadays they're completely thought of as like a myth and kind of like a racist myth too that I think the British made up to sort of villainize and have an excuse to murder Indian people when they colonized. But this movie sort of takes them as real. It's revealed that the thuggy cult is real in this movie. Indiana Jones sort of brings it up and says like, you know, there's been rumors that the thuggy cult and they're like, Indiana, that's, that's urban legend. That's myth. I heard the stories as a child. (laughs) (laughs) The thuggy cult is not real. In my kingdom. Later on that night, Indiana Jones brings Willie some fruit because she didn't eat a damn thing at this dinner. She's very appreciative of this it. This is cute. This yeah. is I like this. This is sort of a ro- the movie stops for a little bit to to have this little romance sequence. Oh, you're a very nice man. Maybe you could be my palace slave. Wear your jewels to bed, princess. Yeah. And nothing else shock you? Nothing shocks me. I'm a scientist. So as a scientist, you do a lot of research? Always. And what sort of research would you do on me? Nocturnal activities. You mean like what sort of cream I put on my face at night? What position I like to sleep in? Mating customs. Love rituals? Primitive sexual practices. So you're an authority in that area? Years of field work. And this is when I feel like you you she's not just like dumb or whatever. Like the mm-hmm. way that she plays him is fun. Because she knows that he thinks she's sexy. Yeah. And she thinks he's sexy too, but she's not that easy, as she says. And mm-hmm. so she's gonna kind of play a little game about it. Indiana Jones is not that easy either. So he's gonna play a little game too. And they have this fun 
back and forth where it becomes almost too obvious that they're going to have sex that they didn't have to be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And Indiana Jones is like, fine, I'm going to go to bed. And she's like, I give you five minutes. You'll be back here in five minutes. And he's like, I'll be asleep in five minutes. <laughs> and then he goes back to the room and they're both literally like watching the clock. And it's fun because it's cross cutting between them. Yeah. Fun music too. Mm-hmm. Very cute. And in classic Spielberg fashion, it doesn't just stop with this. He's got to introduce some action into this too. And so we see as Harrison Ford is literally about to go back to her room, we see that this assassin is hiding in the back of the room and starts to strangle him. Meanwhile, in Willie's room, she's realizing he's not coming and is getting mad. So she goes out into the hallway and is like screaming at him. Could have been your greatest adventure. Like, <laughs> Damn girl, tell him. He runs into Willie's room to because he assumes there's going to be an assassin in there. She thinks he's there to have sex. So she has this funny line where she's like, be gentle with me, be gentle with me. <laughs> uh, he ends up finding the secret passageway that leads into the walls. He tells Short Round to grab his stuff. Let's go look, investigate. They now know they're in some, something is going on with these people. And this is where we get another iconic sequence, Bugs. Bug Central. So the first movie, they have a snake pit where we introduce that Indiana Jones hates snakes. So they were like, we got to one up the snake pit. What are we going to do? And somebody had the idea of bugs. Thousands and thousands of bugs, (laughs) centipedes, roaches, grasshoppers. And some of them still kind of gave me a shiver, like the big ones that kind of look like little leafy guys. It reminded me of when (laughs) the three of us used to live together and that time that somebody dumped something down a drain and thousands of roaches came and covered our house. Oh my God, house. yeah. It was, it was construction workers. Do you remember that, Justin? Construction workers down, down the street flooded the sewer with something. And then all of a sudden the sewer grate in our driveway started just like- How do you not remember this, Spewing Justin? cockroaches. And remember they crawled all over the side of our house. The ho- our house was like polka dotted with cockroaches. And we had to go out there with like wasp spray and like spray them and down. And then the, the roaches that would ever be inside the house were huge, huge. Oh, these were these were chud cockroaches, cannibalistic <laughs> humanoid underground dwelling cockroaches. <laughs> and I think this bug stuff looks great. I mean, like they clearly had millions it's of bugs. Making me itch right now thinking about it. So they end up making their way into this pit and causes the ceiling to start to come down on them with spikes. And um, this is a fucking awesome set. This is so cool. Elliot Scott was the production designer on this. And you know what else he production designed? The Labyrinth. Mm. Oh, that makes sense. Makes total sense because it's fucking awesome. He also did Who Framed Roger Rabbit after this. George Gibbs was the mechanical effects supervisor who had to like build it. He actually made this room a physical ceiling come down, spikes come down room that they could fully control. This was the one scene where... Willie did get on my nerves. I was like, fucking hurry, they're gonna die. And then she's like, I can't, I can't. I was like, you can make her be a little better. Going (laughs) to die. Classic line. I've I did that line in a Jack and Justin episode. Yeah. (laughs) What what was it? Because I am remembering that. Justin pukes on the turkey. And when Corey comes home, she's gonna kill us. And I grab you and I say, We are going to die. (laughs) And it was a direct reference to this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they get they realize these spikes are going to kill them, so they scream out to Willie to come help them. And now Willie, by herself, has to go through all the bugs and everything. Uh, when they were shooting the sequence in the jungle, there was another scene where Willie was going to bathe in the water, and she was going to get wrapped up in an actual snake. 
when they went out to shoot that sequence, she had a complete full-blown panic attack. And Steven Spielberg said, I'm going to cut the scene because I don't want to put you through it. But I'm going to cut this snake scene, but you have to promise me you will do the bug scene. And Kate Capshaw admits that she actually didn't read the script very closely. <laughs> and so she was like, what bug scene? <laughs> so she promised to him that I will do the bug sequence. So when it came time to do this sequence, she, she was again like, was about to have a panic attack. And so she asked somebody on the crew. She was like, there's got to be a pill to make me feel better about this. Mm -hmm. And so some, they don't say what it is. It was probably some form of a Xanax. But they gave her a feel-good pill. She said a, like a relaxant. Like yeah. maybe, a, maybe, a <laughs> maybe a muscle relaxer, relaxer or something. So she said, yeah, when she came on to set, she was like, hi, Steven. <laughs> and he was like, are you ready to do the bug thing? So she's like, <laughs> and so she was like I am drugged out in these scenes and they are literally dumping hundreds of bugs all over me and I'm just floating through it because I was feeling good but this gives us the classic moment where they, they all rush through this wall that's coming down and Indiana Jones rolls in and his hat falls off and he has to reach in right at the last second and grab it that looked dangerous yeah. like even now it looks like his hand is gonna get i know smashed. he really does get it right at the last second yeah we when we were watching it we both went mm -hmm. and that moment's been endlessly parodied in a million spielberg years. says it's his favorite sequence of the movie it's good i mean this is this movie is one banger sequence after another in terms of the action i think despite all the flaws of the movie you could study this movie for action filmmaking and, you know, there's there's really no yeah. better example. And we're just getting started. Oh, yeah. The, <laughs> at this point, the movie hasn't even really kicked in. Like, we're about to get where, like, literally nonstop, just incredible things one after the other. They have not yet entered hell, but that will happen right now. Yeah. So they get out of this and they they come upon this thuggy ceremony where they're worshiping Kali underground. There's lava. This is, I would say this whole sequence, I've never seen a better depiction of hell in any other movie. This isn't literally hell, but it may as well be hell. And when I think of any other movie that has depicted hell, it doesn't top with this sequence. Hideaway didn't hit it. Hideaway like sure didn't hit it. <laughs> Frighteners doesn't hit it. Fucking Insidious doesn't even come close. This is hell. This is incredible. They are praying to Kali. Which yeah. this is another thing that is culturally insensitive because in Indian culture, Kali is not a, a bad god. Kali and Shiva apparently are like husband and wife gods, and they are both considered positive things. And so the fact that they sort of misappropriate Kali as being this like demon devil god is just a complete misunderstanding of the culture. They talk about wiping out all the world religions. Yep. The, the it's a world killing, takeover thing. Killing the British colonialists, then the Muslims, mm -hmm. then the Hebrew God, the Christian God, and, and then having Kali rule over yeah. all the world. I will say the Kali statue looks fucking great. It's like yeah. this six-armed skull mm -hmm. figure, and they've kind of got it built into the the sacrifice cage too. So like mm -hmm. his, his hands are extended out and like these chains are coming out of it. It's really gothic. I mean, like this is one of the fucking coolest sets in a movie of all time. And there's a lot, there's molten lava everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> what? Just funneling through like a river in this thing. This was all built on a stage in England. The cinematographer for this is uh, Douglas Slocomb, who did all of the Indiana Jones movies. And kind of a bummer story about him, 
He began to lose his eyesight in the 80s and he had to retire. He got a detached retina and he died, I think, in 2006 or something like that. Uh, And he was basically blind when he died. Hmm. But yeah, his... It's really a big bummer. And that's the whole reason why Steven Spielberg had to find Janusz Kaminski is because um, Douglas had to retire. What a nightmare. And his work is so fucking good. Like the way he lights the scene, because this is all set design and lighting that is like selling this whole thing. We can introduce our main bad guy. His name is Mola Ram. The actor playing him is Amrish Puri, who was apparently India's number one villain. He, he was a big, huge Bollywood actor, and he was known for playing villains. They said that while he was filming this movie, he was also simultaneously filming 18 other Jesus. features. Because the way it works in India and they're in the Bollywood system is you have portions of each day are committed to each movie. So you would spend four hours shooting one movie, and then you go and you spend another four hours shooting another movie. And so your whole eight to 12 hour day is usually consisting of shooting multiple movies. Bollywood is incredible. Yeah. Wasn't he also a wrestler too? I think, yeah, but before he became an actor, yeah, he was a wrestler. He's great. I was He's worried awesome. I was worried that he was gonna be a white actor uh in brown face. I think there's only one of those in this movie. There is one. There's Ooh. more than one. Is there more? There's one well, notable. I mean the background the background characters feel oh, like sometimes. a hand. There's one yeah. notable one that we'll Who get to. You? One of the soldiers. The big guy. Yeah. The big guy that he fights. Definitely. Yeah. But that's a little, it's not excusable, but he is the same big guy that he fights in Raiders of the Lost Ark. In that sequence where the guy gets chopped up by the, the airplane propeller, it's that guy. And he's, he's also in Last Crusade as another big, so he does a sequence like that where Indiana Jones has to fight a huge dude. It's the Mm -hmm. same dude in all three movies. But in this one, they put him in brown face. Uh -uh. It's not an excuse, but I see why they were trying to give a little callback. You could um, have made him a Brit. You could easily could have fixed that by making him a British colonial that they, soldier. Like brainwashed mm-hmm. or brainwashed. like put in a trance. Yeah, hundred percent fixed. So yeah, we see him them take a guy, lock him in this cage. Molaram comes up and rips his heart out of his chest, but he's still living. It does not kill him. And the creepiest part about it is that it cuts back to the hole in his chest, and it almost like kind of slurps back into place it's really yeah that is the grossest nowadays this would in an adult movie this would have probably more blood for sure even though there is a drip of blood there is something about that there's no blood that also makes it more disturbing yeah conceptually you would just never see this in a kid's movie today it's this is disturbing shit and then after he pulls out his heart not only is he still alive but they lower him into a pit of lava his heart is beating his heart is beating in Molaram's hand he's screaming the whole time praying to Shiva to save him he hits the lava bursts into flames and we see him for probably 10 seconds completely on fire screaming and then we cut back to Molaram holding the heart and the heart catches on fire so there's like some supernatural shit and he's laughing it's incredible Uh, I mean this is awesome (laughs) and the whole time the John Williams score is like the pounding drums and it sounds kind of like the duel of the fates like you can hear some of that Star Wars episode 1 Phantom Menace uh, Darth Maul fight. There's a little bit of its like inception here. You can it's hear so good. It's it's incredible, and they are just watching gobsmacked as this fucking happens. Everybody leaves. Indiana Jones swings down. He actually hears children screaming, mm-hmm. and so he follows the sound of screaming children, and he comes upon this mine. Another layer of hell. Another yeah. layer of hell 
where Ultimately. hundreds of children are being used as slaves. He sees a, a guard brutally whipping this child and Indiana Jones can't help himself. He grabs a, a big rock and he throws it on this guard's head and he ends up getting caught. Uh, so then they also uh, introduce that they have this blood. It's the blood of Kali. And when they force you to drink it, it makes you like them. It makes you believe what they believe. It turns you, one of the children, the slave children, explains to Indy, you're awake but in a nightmare. So, of course, they do this to Indy. They make him drink the blood. What I really like about this is it doesn't happen in an instant. They, like, put him in this room with all these candles and we have to watch as it, like, slowly and painfully sort of takes him over. Yeah, and it's, it's so much better than if it's he disturbing. just... Yeah. If he like instantly turns around and he's like suddenly brainwashed, like he's yeah, because it feels like a, a demonic possession. It feels like a sequence. nightmare. It feels like yeah. he's going through a fucking nightmare. It feels like something an Evil Dead or something. <gasps> <Yeah>. <gasps> he's like sweating, and yeah, then he sits up and this like smile creeps across his face. It's good. Yeah. Also, while it, the, the have you heard about the the prank that Steven Spielberg pulled on Harrison Ford while he was getting whipped? I don't think so. While Harrison Ford was tied up and is getting whipped, they rolled camera called action and Barbara Streisand dressed all in leather came out and started whipping him. And then um, Carrie Fisher comes out and starts whipping him too. This is embarrassing. This is so, I'm, I'm cringing. It was folklore for a long time and people didn't know if it was actually true, but there has since been a video that has been released proving its existence. Somebody unearthed it and you can go watch it. And it is really embarrassing, but yeah. Because what is Harrison Ford's reaction supposed to be like? Oh, <laughs> that's basically what he is. He, yeah, he starts playing nothing, along with it. There's the worst thing about a prank is when you <laughs> everyone's laughing and you don't think it's funny and you have to like fake laugh. Ugh. Um, and but you're really uncomfortable. Yeah. That's kind of what um, it seems like. He starts because well, it's like along. what reaction do they want from him? Yeah. It's almost more for the crew or something because you can hear the crew laughing. But yeah, it's embarrassing. I will say this whole sequence where Harrison Ford is possessed, Corey repeatedly just kept talking about how hot he was. I mean, come on. Look at the man. She just kept going, his body. He's glistening. He does look great. Body by Jake. It all fades. Beauty fades. Not if you keep it up. (laughs) I mean, he's still like... Harrison Ford's probably in his 40s in this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. In this movie, yeah. yeah. Have you seen him now? Yeah, for a 80-year-old man, he looks pretty damn good. He's still kind of got the spunk about him, too. Yeah. Uh, and then we get this great minecart sequence where they hop into the minecarts and they flee out. But of course, Indiana Jones, he does not listen to short round. He takes a right turn instead of a left turn. This minecart sequence is actually a holdover from Raiders of the Lost Ark. There was a, there was a few sequences that they had initially written for Raiders that they couldn't actually fit into the movie from a budgetary standpoint, story standpoint. So the, the minecart was one of those, the raft going down the snowy mountain. The minecart stuff is a mix of uh, stop motion and full size. They actually built like a really long track where they could go that fast too, but all the big wide shots and stuff is all stop motion. All the lava stuff is stop motion. And it looks awesome. It doesn't really have any sort of stop motion grossness to it. It's cool. It's uh, it, This is the part of the movie and every action movie, Disney, Marvel, that I start to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was impressive. Oh, yeah. cool, to me, it, cool did, it keeps me engaged the whole time. And part of it is like the editing and the music and the choreography of it all is just so 
engaging. It doesn't, and it doesn't have any of that like CG mindlessness that so many movies have nowadays. Like, Whenever you remove dialogue and character and you just have exposition to just get them out and I mean everything almost up until the bridge once he starts chopping away at the bridge that's when it gets fun but then when they're all clamoring on the on the bridge I'm snoozing again I disagree about the bridge but you, you felt, I, I you very didn't, much agree about the, the ride part I'm like okay yeah. let's just get to the it. mine card was boring way to too you? long yeah snooze <sighs> it looks I could recognize like the craft of it it looks cool yeah it just goes on a, a couple beats too long for me mm-hmm. yeah it's awesome to but me. the bridge glad I had a good time you want the stones let them go so they end up making it to this bridge and Indiana Jones gets cornered let her go! <laughs> Drop them, Dr. Jones! They will be found! You won't! <laughs> Where he's in the middle of it, and he's surrounded on all sides, and it's this huge, long rope bridge that's between these two gorges. They actually built this bridge. It's real. They are uh, over 150 feet above that's crazy. the ground. Steven Spielberg wouldn't go more than 40 yards onto the bridge. He wouldn't go from one end to the other. He wouldn't go to the middle. He was terrified of it. Harrison Ford was really one of the few people who was willing to do it. Even the cameraman, the Steadicam guy also wouldn't go out there. So in order for them to go from either side of the bridge, they had to go around the land area. Whereas Harrison Ford, he would just walk to the middle. He would go all the way across it. He had no fear. Again, as a director, you got to show... You got to show the crew. If you're asking them to do something that you're not willing to do, get off the set. Yeah, he wasn't willing. And yeah, they cut the bridge, splits in half. They actually did that in real life. They used a bunch of dummies that had like electronic mechanisms to make the hands and legs wiggle as the dummies fell. And it looks fucking awesome. And they only had one chance to do it. It was a real bridge that they built and they had to use like real dynamite to blow it up. And so if it didn't work, they would basically have to go to Industrial Light Magic and have them do it in post. But it did. But it worked. They put eight cameras on it. It looks incredible. From the bridge stuff to the sidewall stuff to the gators on the ground, this whole sequence was shot over three different continents because all of those were in three different places. Mm. They head back to the village with the stone and the children. If this was a Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell movie, they would be like, you brought back the wrong stone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I actually thought that was going to happen. That would be funny. That would have been a funny reveal. And then we get one final moment where... Um, Indiana Jones is like, tries to smooch on her and she's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I hate you. And he ends up using his whip to wrap it around her waist and pull her back in, which she thinks is kind of sexy. It is kind of sexy. It you is can't, sexy. You can't deny. And then right before they no kiss, comment. they get squirted. We get a nice callback. The elephant gets one last splash on her. Short round is riding the elephant. And he's laughing at him. Very funny. Very funny. And, and then they, nice kiss. Final shot of the movie, they kiss. Camera pulls back as all the children of the village <laughs> swarm them and celebrate Indy. Cue credits, cue John Williams score, fade to black. You got yourself a multi-million dollar movie right there. Wow. Which it did. Huge success. It was as successful as the first movie, but not nearly as critically acclaimed. Uh, and uh, Spielberg regrets a lot of the decisions. As he should. I get that. He should. <laughs> Let's take one more break and we'll be right back to talk final thoughts on the Temple of Doom. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Boom. Welcome back to Cinema Possess. We are talking final thoughts on Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Corey, I'm going to start with you. Uh-huh. Final thoughts. I don't know. It's kind of tricky because I do think this is a fun action movie. Like, I, you know, it's a kid's movie. It's not something I'm like clamoring to see. But like, you know, I think of it through the lens of like when we have kids. Well, I want our kids to see this movie. It's a great question. And I don't know, because, I mean, it was such a big uh, part of your life growing up. And I think, you know, I think we just have to have the conversation with kids of like, hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think. I don't know. I don't know how those conversations look. I'm not a parent. But of like, there are problematic things in this movie. Or, you know, it's not going to be the first movie they're going to watch as a kid. But if they want to see this movie, I would let them and just have a conversation about it. But it was fun. Kate Capshaw is and Harrison Ford. Well, no, actually, um, short round is what makes me love this movie. Um, but I, the dynamic between the three of them is fun, and I can see it for that. Justin, how about you? It's a pass for me. I'll keep it short and sweet. I think it's a fun slice of nostalgia. It's a impressive action movie. It's just too dated for me. I'm mm. not. I'm not interested in rewatching it again. Um, it's a pass for me. Well, for me, this was the most conflicted I've felt about one of the movies we've done. Um, I do think there are some shameful issues with the movie that definitely color my opinion of it now. I wouldn't push this movie like I used to push it. You know, I used to be a real champion of this movie. And now I can't say I would feel comfortable being such a champion for it. Mm -hmm. All that being said... I still had a really, really fun time watching the movie. I do still think that the as a as a ride, this movie takes you there and is fun. And I can still appreciate it for its technical craft and its tonal um, uniqueness. I, I still do appreciate that it's tonally very different than the other movies. It does make it more interesting to me. I could still probably safely say, when it comes to the trilogy, if I'm going to rewatch one, I would probably still be pulled to rewatch this one just because it is more interesting. I like that you can read their feelings into this movie. It's like they were kind of going through some weird stuff and you can that's what makes this movie weird. Like that's what art is for in a way. So that's what makes this kind of fascinating even though it's problematic. It's like, well, we were seeing where their hearts were at, you know. They were they had some shit to get off their chest. There's catharsis yeah. in Temple of Doom. That yeah, I mean, not... maybe that's what it's like, the ripping the heart out metaphor. Exactly. The divorce. My be... wife did this yeah. to me. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. George Lucas is like, this is what she did to me. Do you think they called their ex-wives Molar Molar Rops? 
And I still think Willie is a great character. And um, could she be read, better written? Yes. Do I still like her? Yes. And do I think Kate Capshaw did a great job in it and uh, gives a good performance? Absolutely. I love so many aspects of this movie that uh, I can't totally dump it in the trash. But, you know, I also can't go to bat for it quite as hard as I used to. So that's kind of where I stand on it. I don't own the movie now on a physical copy. I can't say I'm going to be in a rush to do that, partly because Disney ain't making it easy to do. You know, I don't want Crystal Skull in my collection. And if that's the only way I can get this movie in like a decent format, then I'm not going to get it. I digress. Now that we have said everything, there literally is to say about the Temple of Doom. What do you say we play? How much do you know about the man with the fedora hat jacket and a whip? The Indiana Jones quiz. Wow. <laughs> Thanks for the top off, Henry. So see Indiana Jones quiz, multiple choice. Since we are recording remotely, please listen to all of the multiple choice questions or answers first and then call your name out to say your answer. Yeah, we know how to play these. But sometimes you don't play them right. (laughs) Question number one. We all know Indiana Jones is deathly afraid of the slippery serpents, which means he has which of these phobias? A. Thalassophobia. B. Ophidiophobia. C. Electrophobia. Or D, a phoebephobia. Justin A. A. Thalassophobia is a fear of oceans or deep water. B, ophidiophobia. C, electorophobia. C, electoriophobia. Electorophobia is the fear of chickens. (laughs) So is it B, ophidiophobia, or D, a phoebephobia? D. Ephibiophobia is a fear of teenagers. <laughs> it is B, ophidiophobia, the fear of snakes. Hmm, interesting. Y'all aren't so smart. Oh, it's uh, <laughs> <This is> annoying. <laughs> hey, you don't think you learned something there? You could have. Could have learned something if you listened. Question number two. We all know Indiana is merely a nickname for Dr. Henry Jones, which he took from his childhood dog. But in reality... Whose dog was the character actually named after? A. George Lucas. B. Steven Spielberg. C. Mark Hamill. Or D. Richard Dreyfus. A. Justin A. Lucas. That's correct. Thankfully, we already spoke about that earlier. Didn't know if it was going to come up or not. Question number three. We all love Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones, but what actor was originally cast to play the iconic role? Was it A. Jack Nicholson? B. Nick Nolte? C, Tom Selleck, or D, Chevy Chase? C, C Tom Justin. Selleck. Technically, Corey? Corey got it out there first. She didn't say her name. <laughs> Let me have this. Tied up, one to one. Question number four. We all know Harrison Ford famously got extreme food poisoning while filming Raiders of the Lost Ark in Tunisia. But director Steven Spielberg managed to avoid getting sick by only eating what food? A. Baked beans. B. Vienna sausages. C. Spaghettios. Or D. Peanut butter. Corey C. Spaghettios. Cans and cans of Spaghettios. Oh, we did. We failed to mention that there was a callback to that scene in this movie, where he gets approached by two swordsmen 
And he reaches for his gun to shoot them like he does in Raiders of the Lost Ark, but he doesn't have his gun. So he has to run. Now, we can either look at that as a callback to the first movie, or we can look at that, since this is a prequel, as the way in which he sort of learned to always have his gun on him. Maybe not. Maybe it just means that he's always intending on killing people if he has to. Because he was going to shoot those two guys. He's a psychopath. Mm -hmm. Question number five. Corey has two points. Corey, uh, Justin has one. Suck it. We all love Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, but what 1990 film did Steven Spielberg have to drop out of in order to direct it? A. Misery. B. Dick Tracy. C. Ghost. Or D. Rain Man. Justin B. Wrong. Not Dick Tracy. Corey Ghost. Wrong. Not Ghost. Is it A, Misery, or D, Rain Man? Justin D, Rain Man. That is correct. He was set to direct Rain Man with Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman, and he was extremely excited about it. He was very attached to that movie. He was personally invested in it, but he had no choice but to direct he made The Last the wrong, Crusade. He made the wrong choice. Well, he, he, sucks. he said he was choiceless because he had already signed the contract to do the third Indiana Jones, and it was it, it just was like they couldn't push it. Yeah, that sucks. So he had to do it. He had to leave. Rain That's Man. a little cruel of Lucas. Yeah. He did say, too, he was like, I had to do it for my friend George. <laughs> hey, they're real buddies, though. Who directed Rain Man? Barry Levinson, Sam Levinson's father. Wow. Final question. We all get a good laugh from a parody, correct? Can you guys yeah, agree sure. that we all get a good laugh from a parody? Yeah, if it's sure. good, if yeah. it's funny. Well, what was the name of Mad Magazine's Indiana Jones parody? Was it A, Indiana Bones, B, Indiana Jowls, C, In Banana Jones, or D, Indiana Cajones? Corey A, Indiana Bones? That is, in fact, a dog parody. A real-life <laughs> dog parody. D, Cajones. Gotta be that. That oh. is, in fact, a Spanish porn parody. What about in Diana Jones? That's Princess Diana's parody. Isn't that a real porn? In Diana Jones? That'd you be, tell us, that's Justin. Cool. Is it a real porn? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it is, yeah. In Diana Jones and the Temple of Poon. Ooh. Wow. That's good. B, Indiana Jowls, or C, In Banana Jones? In Banana Jones? That is correct. In Banana Jones was the Mad That's Magazine bad, parody. Bad, bad parody. And Indiana Jowls was the Chuck E. Cheese parody. If you would, if you attended a Chuck E. Cheese, they had those posters where they had like mm-hmm. Crocodile Chucky and all those. And Indiana Jowls was the, um, it was the dog. That's pretty good. The dog puppet. The Mad Magazines for this, they did one for every movie, but in this one it was In Banana Jones and the Temple of Goons. Mm. But yeah, In Banana sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Corey wins the Indiana Jones quiz. And that, my friends, is the show. 
Follow us on social media at Cinema Possessed Pod, where we announce next week's movie ahead of time. And if you want to get in touch with us, email us at cinemapossessedpod at gmail.com. And if you want to get even more possessed, head on over to patreon.com slash cinemapossessedpod and unlock the Cinema Possessed bonus materials, our bi-monthly bonus episodes where we talk about more than just what's in our collection. Plus, you'll gain exclusive access to Patreon-only giveaways and community message boards. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your pods. We really appreciate it. Spread the word to anybody that you know if you like us. And Justin, tell the people what we are going to be talking about next week. Next week, we are talking about 1999's The Green Mile with some special guests. Mm. Exciting. Uh, Look forward to that one, folks. It's going to be a good one. And as always... Keep watching the movies you love and stay possessed. Later. Bye. Bye. See you later, podcast listeners.